0: morning church morning. it's good to be back in eindhoven again and to share with you from the word of god let's pray together heavenly father as we think about your word what it means to us today personally in our own lives we pray that you guide us through your holy spirit as we listen and as we speak in jesus name amen, amen. I grew up in Katwijk aan Zee, a small seaside town near The Hague. My father was a baker, but when I grew up, still a lot of people in Katwijk were involved with the fishing trade. And so at one time, I was a teenager, maybe 13, 14 years old, I joined my cousin to go on a five-day fishing trip, on a fishing boat, a trawler because my cousin's family from the other side, they owned that boat. And I still remember we left the harbor at Eimuiden and together with my cousin, we were cracking jokes, we were enjoying ourselves. But then when we exited the harbor and came into the full sea, things changed. I started to feel sick. And it turned out I had seasickness for a very, very long full five days of that trip. I lived on a few oranges and I lost some kilos. And I was counting down the hours for us to return to the land and for this terrible feeling to disappear. Now, mind you, the weather was It was not even a storm, but still I was suffering of seasickness. When I read today's Gospel reading, that memory came back to me. And up to today, because of that experience, I still have fear of seasickness, especially on a smaller kind of boat. And so this reading from the Gospel of Mark is on the one hand about fear, the fear of death, the fear of being left alone, the fear of not being in control. But it's also about faith, the faith that Jesus is with us in the midst of the great storms in our lives. And I hope that this morning, this familiar story speaks fresh to you today. As you think about your own situation, and uh, we all have fears at some times, but it's important to see they have, that we have one person we can turn to that knows and can deal with our deepest fears and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at this story again and see how it applies to us, to our situation today. The story of the stilling of the storm introduces a new section in the Gospel of Mark. If you uh, look what is earlier in the chapter, in four, chapter 4, you see some parables about what the kingdom of God is all about. And this story of the calming of the storm starts a section with four miracle stories about Jesus. The Gospel of Mark, especially the first half of the Gospel of Mark, is all about that first sentence in the book where it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. And so Mark is answering the question, who is this Jesus? What kind of Messiah is he? Like it says in verse 41, where the disciples ask, who then is this? So far in the gospel, we've seen that Jesus heals diseases, that he can cast out demons. But this story, this miracle, takes us further because now Jesus is exercising God-like authority over creation. Jesus does what God, the Father, can do. And so the first half of Mark ends in chapter eight, where that question is finally answered, who is Jesus, by Peter. I think we know those words from Peter. Acknowledges when Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're not just a prophet, but you are the Messiah we have been waiting for. Now, turning to the verses we read this morning, we see the word great in that passage three times. And that shows us a bit of the structure of the story. In verse 37, it talks about a great windstorm. That means there is crisis there. Verse 39, there is a great calm. Some translations, dead calm. And that's the result of Jesus' command. And then finally, in verse 41, it talks about the great fear of the disciples. And that's the response that disciples, the disciples had to what, what happened there. You may have noticed already that we... I've been referring to that, that we can read this story on two, at least, on two different levels. On one level, it's the miracle story who tells us about who Jesus is, that he has the same power as God the Father, that he truly is the Son of God. On another level, it's like a parable about discipleship. It starts with an invitation, as it always starts with discipleship, where Jesus invites the disciples to go to the other side of the lake. And then, after all the things happen, there is a lesson about fear and trust. So in these first two verses, Jesus taking, as I said, his disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Tiberias, as it is also called, to be alone with them, to leave the crowd behind. We see that more often, and to have some, some separate, some special time with the disciples for intensive learning. And that's really what is happening here in this story. Verse 37, the events suddenly changed. There is no clue in the text that this is coming. There's nobody saying, oh, I think we have some dark clouds. Oh, I think the weather could turn. No, it says immediately a great windstorm arose. Now they tell me, I feel I still feel a bit lacking. I've never been in Israel so far. It's still on my my bucket list. You know, I'm I'm preaching about the gospels about the situation there. I've never seen it with my own eyes. I should really go one day. But they tell me that on the Sea of Galilee it's not strange to have sudden storms. It's known for having those sudden storms and it's a storm like that and a The wind comes up and the waves beat against the boat and the boat is already filling with water. Meanwhile, we read Jesus is sleeping away peacefully on a pillow in the stern. Now that's quite amazing. In the midst of the storm, he is sleeping. I have, uh, I, I have another childhood story. I don't know, it doesn't happen that far, that often, but today it's, it's there. I have another memory as a child, as a small child. Uh, across the street from where I lived, there was a big fire in the night. And the fire brigade came out. Many people gathered to see what was happening during the night. But I was only told the story because I had been asleep through all the events. And I was angry with my brothers and sisters. I said, why haven't you woken me up? Because I missed all the excitement. I just slept through. And Jesus is sleeping. The disciples waking up and they ask, do you not care that we are perishing? Someone wrote, And it also applies to the story I just told you about me as a child, the ability to sleep peacefully and untroubled is a sign of perfect trust in the sustaining and protective power of God. Of course, that's true, but the disciples were not too impressed by this. And I think the question is not so much an accusation as well as a cry of fear and of feeling A statement of feeling alone and we hear this question throughout the bible especially in the psalms where people ask where is god in the midst of my distress and we also hear this story in a world of terror and distresses today if god is so great and powerful if god really cares about the world Why do events in the world and in my life then go so badly? And then the ready response is often, either God has no power or, and that's also bad, he doesn't care about me, us, or his creation. But that's not the answer that we get here in this story. Jesus does care. And in verse 9, notice that Jesus does not start to uh, discuss whether their fears are valid or not. It says he immediately woke up and he rebuked the winds forcefully. He said, be still, be silent. And also the response is instant. The wind ceases and there arose, it says, a great calm. We had the great storm, which was the crisis, but Jesus speaks and there is a great calm. When Jesus speaks, the situation changes, people change. And so now the rescue is accomplished, the sea is calm, and then it's time for some needed instruction. Jesus addresses the real problem. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? It is fear against faith. Now, I think it's important to say that the point is not here that we are not allowed to feel fear. And I will say that a few times in different ways, just to make it very clear. But the issue here is that the disciples do not yet understand that Jesus is the real Messiah, the savior, that he can deal with these circumstances. They only see the elements around them and they fear them and they see them as a threat. And so also the question to us, to me today is, where do we put our trust? Is it in the end that we believe that God is with us and that he is in control? Or do we live our lives as if we are controlled by fate? And you can never know what the next storm in your life will be. But the good news today is that we can put our trust in a person, in a savior, in a Messiah, who is in control. And yes, we are fearful at times, and that's even okay. But in the end, we have the faith and the conviction that Jesus is there, that he can and will calm the storms in our lives. When an early church father, St. Augustine, preached on this passage, he uses the metaphor that Christ is asleep within us. That's a little bit different perspective. Christ is asleep within us, he says, and we often forget that reality and then the storms of life take control over us. Augustine writes, Christ is asleep in you. What do I mean? I mean you have forgotten his presence. Rouse him then. Remember him. Let him keep watch within you. Pay heed to him. Temptation arises. It is the wind. It disturbs you. It is the surging of the sea. This is the moment to awaken Christ and let him remind you of those words. Who can this be? Even the winds and the sea obey him. And then the final verse where we see that disciples have again great fear. Now that's a bit confusing. It literally says they fear the great fear. But this is a different kind of fear than they had before when the storm started. And also the Greek, in the Greek, there are two different words used here. Because here it is what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. In the whole Bible we see the pattern then when If people realize who God is and what he does, there is fear, there is awe, there is amazement, and that's happening here. A Messiah that controls creation. What an amazing savior. Could also be that there is some element of fear here for having to change, because that's what Jesus is asking his disciples to do, to look at the world with different eyes, to not see the world as it is, but to see the kingdom of God, to see God in control and at work in our reality. And maybe we, find, we fear that kind of change, change that is happening when Jesus calls you uh, to live differently or think differently, or maybe to go beyond the borders of What do you think you are capable of? And the answer is to choose faith over fear. So let me say a little bit more about that. I said already it's okay to be fearful at times. Fear is a healthy emotion that helps us against many harms. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we're talking about here is a fear that takes over your life. It can be the fear of death or illness. It can be the fear of missing out or the fear of uh, change. And these kind of fears, they can uh, turn into giant category five storms that send us running for cover. And when fear controls your life, uh, as I said, then it can be that you give it too much power in your life and sometimes we need therapy to deal with that and that's absolutely fine there's nothing to be ashamed of but on a deeper level the only medicine against fear is trust is faith it is trust in the god who says i will never leave or forsake you it doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to us But it does mean that when they do, our faith keeps us from getting under. And when the fears of life come our way, we simply need to acknowledge that these fears are there. We need to to talk to Jesus. Don't you care that I'm drowning? And we trust that even a giant storm can be stilled. He is able. He has done it and he will do it. I want to finish with a story from a Roman Catholic spiritual writer, Henry Nouwen. He's originally Dutch, but he lived most of his life in, in other countries, in the US and in Canada. And he tells this story about faith when at one point in his life, he got to know some acrobats the flying Rodleys, they were trapeze artists in a circus. And he tells their story and he, he, he draws some spiritual lessons out of that. And, and, and this story I think is, is quite fascinating and also encouraging to us today. I'm quoting Nouwen, he says, one day I was sitting with Rodley, the leader of the troupe, talking about flying, you know, trapeze, trapeze artists. And he said, Rodley said, a flyer, as a flyer, I must completely trust in my catcher. Now the public might think that I am the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with a split second precision to grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. The secret, Rodley said, is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron behind the catch bar. You do nothing, Henry said, surprised. Nothing, Rodley, repeated. The worst thing the flyer can do is to try to catch the catcher. If I grab Joe's wrist, I might break them, or he may, might break mine. And that would be the end for both of us. A flyer must fly, and a catcher must catch. And the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that the catcher will be there for him. And Henry now says, This is what faith is all about. God will be there when you make your long jump. Don't try to grab Him, He will grab you. Just stretch out your arms and hands and trust, trust, trust. Amen.